0: Hi, I'm Kelly Hunt and you're listening to Talking Blues.
1: I'm in a hotel room <laughs> with Kelly Hunt before her performance at the Canadian Music Week. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Thanks for having
1: me. It's been uh, maybe 10 years since I last saw you.
0: That's what I was thinking. It's been a long time, but it's great to see you. It's great to
1: see you. Thank you. So you're here for the Canadian Music Week doing a bunch of shows. Right. Um, What do you hope to get out of this? Like, what do you come into this with?
0: Well, it's my first time playing for this for Canadian Music Week. And so I'm hoping to see some artists that I haven't seen. Um, One of the shows I'm doing tonight at 8 o'clock Um, at 120 Diner is with several other women artists so I'm really looking forward to that and um, it's just all new for me I mean it performing is not new obviously and doing things like this is not new but it's lovely to be in Toronto at one of the largest uh, you know music conferences in the country and be a small part of that so even when we got in last night it was interesting to see what's going on who's filing in you know, what's scheduled for today. It's fun to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, there's
1: some interesting people here.
0: There are, and I think there'll be some good uh, talks and performances, and um, we're going to try to take in as much as we can. Oh, good. Yeah.
1: Um, I do want to ask about that, because I know the industry has changed during the time that you've been in it. Oh, yes. Drastically.
0: Yeah, uh, It sure has. But before
1: we get to that, tell me about growing up in Emporia, Kansas.
0: Oh, boy. Well... Um, Emporia, Kansas, at the time that we moved there, I was just starting first grade.
1: Right, okay. And oh, so you weren't born there.
0: I was born in Kansas City. Oh,
1: okay. And so how, Emporia is a t- small town, correct?
0: It is a small town, yeah. At that time, it was about 16,000. Now it's maybe up to 23,000. So. Uh, but the cool thing about Emporia was um, I grew up in a neighborhood where you could walk to the neighborhood grocery store. It was safe to walk downtown as a little kid. Um, and there were a lot of outdoor spaces. I grew up riding horses. Oh. Um, Can I ask
1: why you moved there?
0: We moved there because my dad got a great job okay. in that town. And um, we moved from Kansas City, where I was born, we moved to Topeka for a couple of years. I went to kindergarten there. And then my dad got a job um, in Emporia. And they were, I think my folks were looking for a town. Um, that they could raise their four children in, would have a small-town feel. Um, They love Kansas City, but this gave them a little more freedom, I think, financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And, believe it or not, the arts are are well-supported in that town. There are two colleges there. Well, there were two colleges. Now there's one. And the beautiful Flint Hills of Kansas, one of the last native prairie uh, grasslands in, in the world, is in that area. Oh, okay. So you know, I grew up riding horses, being outside a lot. My mother and father made sure that we were exposed to the arts. They both were artists in their own right. They so were musicians. Yeah, Correct. my mom was a singer, um, and she didn't do it for a living once she started, when she got married. And my dad, when he was in the navy, played the upright bass. Right. So they had a musician friends from all over the world. And my dad's job involved um, having opening up an international division for this printing company he worked for. So he traveled a lot. And once a month, people from all over the world came to our home. And we hosted a dinner. And we were taught at a young age, you greeted your guests at the door, you shook their hand, you took their coat, you offered them a drink. <laughs> and uh, we did that. So, uh, and then they asked me if I would play piano, because I was a little kid playing by ear. And
1: right. What were you playing then? <clears throat>
0: I was playing anything I heard on the radio. I was playing anything that my mom sang, blues, jazz, pop music, Beatles, um, really anything. I love the, the song. Um, for some reason, you know, I walk the line and ring a fire and <laughs> all that. Can you imagine a third <laughs> grader sitting down going, yeah. I wasn't doing a lot of singing in front of anybody but boy, I was pounding out the keys.
1: And did that come easy to you? Yeah. The piano?
0: It did. When I was three, I started playing on an old beat-up upright piano that my parents got from a friend. And the black keys were painted turquoise blue because they were all worn down. (laughs) And uh, I could not keep my hands off of it. So I would hear mom sing something, and I would toddle over to the piano, and I'd pick out the notes. And that was my love and my passion, and it still is. I eventually learned how to read music, Mm -hmm. but not until I was ten years old.
1: Do you have perfect pitch? Um, Pretty
0: close, yeah, pretty close.
1: That's (laughs) so. How much did your mom and dad's musical background influence you?
0: Oh, deeply. Um, Part of the family's from New Orleans, Uh, and my grandmother sang all gospel music in a traveling choir. So I got a big dose of Mahalia Jackson, James Booker. Uh, well, you know, of course, Professor Longhair, right. but they also loved Kansas City Jazz, um, Kansas City Blues, all kinds of jazz and blues. So records were being played in our home daily, and if they weren't, the records weren't on the stereo, the radio was on. And my parents love all kinds of music, so all kinds of music. And that's what I heard. So I would emulate what I was hearing, St. Louis Blues would come on and mom would sing it and I'd go pick it out and uh, you know, I'm gonna move on up a little higher and I went, hey, me too, you know, (laughs) just a kid. Can you imagine that? That was crazy. Uh, And then again, I'd hear something, you know, Simon and Garfunkel on the radio and I'd try to pick it out. So
1: So at what point did you think (laughs) music was the way you were gonna go?
0: I never thought it wasn't. I never had a thought in my head that I was gonna do something else.
1: I always find that amazing because I've heard other people t- say that. Uh-huh. And I can I can understand why somebody would be like that, but it's a difficult profession. And, and you know, a lot of people would say, well, I, this is what I want to do, but I had nobody to guide me or I didn't know how to get there or whatever. Right. Um, in, in, your, in your eyes, how did you think this would be achieved?
0: Well, um, I think naively I just... And I didn't articulate it then, I was, I was in grade school. Right. I just somehow knew that this was my path. I didn't know what it would look like. I started writing songs and stories and poetry when I was probably in fourth grade. And I was very interested in the writing aspect of it. I didn't connect the fact that that would be connected to the piano, be connected to the voice, until I was in junior high and I started singing in a, a, a choir and when I was 16, a couple of my brother's friends asked me, my older brother, his friends asked if I would play uh, piano in their band, play keyboards.
1: Because you also played gu- guitar as well, right? I also
0: play guitar, yeah. uh-huh. Um, and I s- had to ask my folks if that was okay. They said, well, one weekend a month you can do this, as long as we know where it is and it's within these hours. Right. And they knew the guys, so it wasn't like... And everybody in Emporia knew everybody, so if we played a <laughs> club where you had to be 21 the club owner had already talked to my dad, right. and I could go in and play, and then dad would pick me up. So I think once I was in high school, I realized, and my parents encouraged this, they both used to be teachers, and both you know went to college, and they encouraged me to go to University of Kansas in Lawrence and study music. So that's exactly what I did. I was a music composition major, and I minored in voice for a couple of semesters just because I wanted to make sure if I was going to sing, um, I wanted to know how to take care of that voice. I was singing at home all the time, but when I got in that band, they, they already had a quote, you know, girl singer, and right. I wasn't to do any singing. And I was fine with that. It's like, thank goodness, you know, until one night she didn't show up for one of our jobs. And we were getting paid 50 bucks a piece, and that was high cotton back then. And it was like, <laughs> yes, better than working at the Dairy Queen. What,
1: what were you playing? You know? What kind of music were you
0: playing? Oh, they, the guys picked it out. It was all like copy music, party music, like Almond Brothers and mm. um, Chuck Berry and just whatever was, you know, Linda Ronstadt and stuff like that. And um, they didn't sing. So we were playing for a formal um, for a fraternity up at the college. She didn't show up. And it was five minutes till, and they all looked at me and said, well, boy, we hope you can sing. Otherwise, it's all instrumentals tonight.
1: <laughs> so you hadn't sang in front of them?
0: No, I had not.
1: And, and I know you said you were in the choir. And, I was. And you sang around the house. Yeah, how yeah. confident were you about your own voice?
0: Um, I, I was confident that when I opened my mouth I could sing the songs. I had no uh, idea how scary that would be in this kind of a setting. I, wasn't, I had never done that in that sort of a setting, so I had, a, I had one of those moments, you know, where you decide, well, it, I can decide to have it go this way, be a train wreck, or I can decide and act as if I'm okay with this and, and almost pretend like, yeah, sure, I've got this. So I chose, because I was so scared to do it, and I was the young, I mean, I was 16, And these guys were all like 20, you know, 21. Ancient. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But we were in a bind. So I just had to step away, get myself together and just say, okay, I'm going to pretend like I've done this all my life. I knew the words of the songs. I knew the songs. Playing and singing at the same time, I do at home. I thought, I just thought, I'm going to do this. This is what's going to happen. And I just powered through that night. And when it was over, I just about collapsed, you know. What do you
1: remember about that night?
0: I remember, oh my gosh, my hands were shaking. I remember the looks on my band member's faces, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to go well. (laughs) And I also remember thinking, interestingly enough, the people that were there for their event didn't pay any attention to me. They were there to have fun and dance and do what they did. And that made it easier for me. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, hey, they don't know I've never done this. They have no idea that I'm scared, because I'm scared. And if I just act like I'm not, it went it went really well. And um, so they fired the other singer, and I got paid twice. Yay!
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, so did you, was there a moment in that evening that you felt comfortable?
0: Yeah, by the end I did, actually. And I thought, you know, I could do this. Um, I had a lot of work to do to get better at it. Right. I had to go home and, for a couple of months, really practice playing that kind of music, playing and singing at the same time, so I could really project my voice. Um, and that definitely took some work and practice. And
1: I even just knowing the lyrics to everything. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I know that you played these songs with the yeah. band, mm-hmm. but it didn't necessarily mean you sang all the songs, right? right? So, right. I mean, I always find that pretty amazing.
0: I think I knew the lyrics because these were familiar songs to everybody and also um, at that time when I learned a song, some of my cues came from the lyrics. It's hard for me to put it to articulate it but as I'm playing, I'm also kind of singing it in my head. Does that make sense?
1: Well, it's it's weird because the other day Mm -hmm. I I have a horrible voice but I, (laughs) I, I was listening to a song in the car and I was kind of having along, singing along with it. Right. And it occurred to me that if you said, how do you, what's the lyrics to the song, I probably wouldn't know what it was. Right. But because the music was on, it was just easy for me to, you know, I, to follow. Yeah. I, I, don't know if, I, I don't know if that's the same it's principle. It's very much the
0: what. same. Sure it is. It kind of puts it in context. Yeah. And the playing part for me was also, you know, I'd been playing for many years by then, but playing that music, in that kind of a setting, is also different. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had two keyboards for me to play. One was a Fender Rhodes, and I, I didn't own any of that equipment. And one was a Farfisa organ. <laughs> and I said, cool, well, I guess I'll learn how to play these.
1: But these are different, very <clears throat> different disciplines, right, between playing an organ and playing...
0: Very much. Oh, yeah, boy. And that's where playing by my ear training, not training, but I was just naturally could play by ear. That's where that came in handy. I knew what the sounds were for the organ. I knew that there had to be sustain. You held down the notes differently. um, Once I got next to it and had a chance to literally feel it ergonomically and then hear, okay, this is the sound I'm going for, um, I wasn't great at it at the beginning, um, but it got better because I could hear the sounds I was going for and just experiment with what you know, what I could come up with.
1: Can you tell me what your relationship with the instrument was back then? Like, you know, I, I know of guitar players who are totally obsessed by it, so mm-hmm. they would spend six, eight hours a day just playing. Like, yeah. how, how were you with your instrument and, and, and your journey through music?
0: Well, like I said, when I, when I was three, and this piano, it was an old upright piano that had been a player piano, and the player uh, mechanism didn't work anymore. A friend of my dad's refurbished those and they rolled it into our garage. And at that time nobody knew, but I didn't have very good eyesight then. I couldn't see very well, which later in life got rectified. But I but I just knew something big came in. I could put my hands on it. I could run I could get up on my tiptoes and run my hands over these keys and when I pushed down there was a sound. And I was fascinated with it. I couldn't keep my hands off of it. My parents had to keep, you know, coming in because it was in the garage at that time. I'd have my dad put me up on the bench, and I would just be there for a long time for a three-year-old. They'd finally have to make me come in, which which upset me. (laughs) I was like, no. But eventually they rolled it into the house and realized that neither my brother nor my sister, who had been taking lessons, were at all interested. And I could not stop playing it. So the piano became for me a way to express myself even as a young child and feel emotion and, and emulate what I heard around me. I couldn't see well enough to read music. I mean I didn't understand what that was at that time.
1: Can can I ask you about that? Sure. So tell me, is it just that you didn't see well because your eyes weren't good, and nobody knew, or what what does that mean when you?
0: I was very nearsighted, okay, and nobody knew that because I was so young, and I navigated by touch and by um, sound and by smell. So I could tell, you know, fuzzy figures around me. I wasn't, like, legally blind or anything.
1: But do do you think that you just thought this was normal and your parents had no idea because you had adjusted in such a way?
0: Yeah. I I didn't have any other thing to compare it to. And my folks didn't see me having any issues. And it wasn't until I was in first grade and was learning how to read that it became apparent. um, Because my first grade teacher who was a lovely woman, you know, we would learn these letters and numbers up on the board and we'd have fun with it, and I'd just make stuff up. And so she moved me closer and closer to the board. She knew I was, you know, paying attention, and, and she'd say, what's this word? And I'd say, Beverly Hillbillies, you know. And she'd go, oh, okay, well, that's good. And then my folks had my eyes checked, and it turned out that all this time, I really had a, a problem with okay, my vision.
1: So- Two things come to mind. One is that you know, they often talk about if one of your senses goes to the other one becomes yep. heightened or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that had something to do with maybe your learning of the instrument at that early age. And then the other thing is, what was it like when you figured out that there was an issue with the eye? Like how did that change your life? Well,
0: the answer to answer the first part of your question, it had everything to do with it. because Because I couldn't see well enough, it enabled me to play not looking at my hands. And to play by by feel and by hearing. And I thought that's what everybody did. And so that was a freedom that it felt like flying, and it still does. I don't very often look at my hands. I do, obviously, sometimes, but not often. And I think the idea, uh, well, to answer part two of your question, when I got glasses, I will always remember this. Um, I was... In first grade, my dad walked me down to Peter Pan ice cream store. Right next to it was the ophthalmologist, optometrist. Got fitted for glasses. I got to pick out these groovy pink frames, (laughs) little pointy frames. And, but the day I put them on, it scared me for a minute. I can imagine. Because the world was so bright Mm -hmm. and detailed. And I looked and could see my dad's face clearly from a distance instead of feeling, you know, being up close and then I got happy I said yes this is great so he took me next door for a big ice cream we walked home and I saw everything clearly for the first time and I said well it's on now (coughs) except for when I played I took those off. Really? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay so when did you learn how to read music?
0: I learned how to read music when I was 10 my my mother had taken me to several piano teachers who um, said that in order for me to learn how to read music, I had to stop playing by ear. And she knew that that wasn't right, and it upset me greatly. Um, and so she had heard of this of a woman named Mary Burke Norton, who was a next door neighbor of some friends, who loved children. She taught lots of different instruments. And she was classically trained, but also had played like in vaudeville and boogie woogie. And so they, mom said, Look, you know, by this time I wanted nothing to do with piano teachers. I was really disheartened, little 10 year old. Mm-hmm. And um, she took me to see Mary. And I actually wrote a song about it called Queen of the 88s. Um, but Mary was so, she was gruff on the exterior. But she was so kind-hearted and had a lot of compassion for kids who might be learning differently or have different talents and didn't quite fit in the box. And so, she—I was feeling pretty belligerent when I met her. It's like I don't want to take this. You know, no, you're not going to make me do that. And
1: at this point, did you have? Mm-hmm. Did you see any advantage in learning how to read? No. Like, okay.
0: None whatsoever. No, I was mad about all of it.
1: And could, in your mind, did you think you could? decipher anything you heard and yeah. be able to play it?
0: I thought I could, but I was 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could get the gist of almost anything. But then I hadn't been exposed to so many types of music in mm-hmm. the world yet either. So it's one thing to pick out the melody and chord structure for St. Louis Blues. It's another to play Clair de Lune without the music in front of you, yeah. you know. Right. <clears throat> so, but but Mary was really great. And she we did have a, a really good heart-to-heart talk. And she said, you know, she knew Mom had told her that we'd been to these other teachers, and I would come home crying every time. She said, look, why don't we do this? She said, you just try this for a while. We'll try it for a month. Uh, one lesson, you know, because I went once a week. She says one week we'll focus on you learning what, how to read music and what these notes mean. And then the next week, we'll l- work on whatever piece you're learning by ear. And I said, I'm also interested in boogie-woogie. She goes well. Let's we'll look at that. So we alternated weeks my whole time with her.
1: And then the other week would be more <clears throat> classical pieces. Be more classical okay. pieces,
0: yeah. And um, I had to start slowly because I'd never read any music. She had a little magnetic board with the magnets to read the F A C E. Every good boy does fine. And it was she made it fun for kids. She knew how to work with kids, and she had a lot of talented students. Um, and I started thriving with her. And got excited when I could read a piece of music that I didn't know what it sounded like first. She wouldn't play it for me. She tried that at the beginning. She'd play something and I and the our first meeting. And she goes, Well, just to see, and I'd sit down and I'd emulate it. But she had turned it upside down. Hmm. And I didn't know. I didn't and she went, Okay. And rather than humiliate me, she said, Well, I know everything I need to know about what we're gonna do. And she said, It's gonna be really fun and you're gonna like it and I did.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, what did classical music training do for you?
0: Oh boy, it helped me understand the mechanics of fingering, uh, hand placement, she also helped me with how to take care of my hands and wrists. If you're going to do a fast passage, uh, not to put my body in, a, in a, at an angle that it would hurt me. Um, I also understood that I had a lot of challenges um, reading the upper and lower staff at the same time. So that kind of helped me be more ambidextrous. Um, and it just opened a whole new world of, of music that I had never heard. You know, and she was, I mean, she, I would never got to the point where I could sit down and sight-read a very difficult piece of classical music. I didn't take piano for that long. Right. Um, but I did get to the point where I can look at a piece, decipher it, I remember I had to learn, um, or I chose to learn, uh, Claire de Lune for um, my uncle's funeral. And it was an emotional day, and I had, my aunt really wanted to hear that piece. And, and it was in C Sharp for me at that time. That was a hard thing to do. And my husband, poor Al, knows that I battered my way through that song for, you know, it took me a long time to get it right because I knew they wanted to hear it as it was written. Mm-hmm. And it was challenging for me, but because many years prior, I had enough training and enough um, skill that I did it, even under duress, and it, and it made my aunt very happy. So I was grateful for those duels.
1: So when you went to university for music, mm-hmm. for composition yeah. and vocals, you said, what did you hope to get out of that?
0: I hope to get better at um, arranging, I, I hope to, and, it, and I was exposed to a lot of um, difficult subjects, difficult for me at the time, that would hone my skills, I became a better sight reader. I also was a very small fish in a big pond. Where, where I grew up, there really wasn't much competition. And although that was fun on one hand, on the other, I knew that wasn't best for me. Out in the world, it was going to be different. And kudos to my parents for understanding that, you know. And they they encouraged me to apply for the university, and, you know, they helped me go, get through school. And I didn't, although I sang in, you know, some of the university singers' groups, I was focusing on my core subjects that, you, that everybody has to take right. and composition. And then one of the semesters, I thought, you know might be a good idea to get a vocal uh, professor and see how I can take care of my voice. And uh, when I auditioned at first, they wouldn't let me minor in voice. They thought I didn't have a strong enough instrument to to withstand the rigors. But what they didn't know was every weekend, I I was taking the bus to wherever and playing in the band all weekend to make money for school and coming back and doing school all week, including singing in the choirs. And I thought... Well, okay. So one professor, uh, and Antonio Perez said he would take me for a semester and then see how I did at the jury at the end when you you sing in seven they you have to learn seven different languages. Sing in seven different languages, you don't know which three they're gonna pick and then you sing in front of the the um the vocal
1: department and, and are we then, talking like opera or um
0: yeah. I sang all high soprano, I sang all soprano one. Um and he was a really great vocal coach, and I learned a lot, and um, it went well, <laughs> you know, and so.
1: So by, by, by this time, you're already singing in a band.
0: Oh, yeah, I'd already been doing that since I was 16.
1: Right. Okay, so you're going to university, are you thinking, and now you know, basically, this is what I'm going to do. Right. At this point, what are you thinking music, a career in music would be for you?
0: At that point, I was just thinking, well, I was already starting to perform my own songs. That was kind of new, both in the little band that I played in and by myself. Um, And I thought, well, I'm going to be a traveling musician that performs these things and maybe at some point I'll record something or um, get out in the world, have my music get out in the world in one way or another.
1: And I know you said you started writing early, but tell me about that part of it, writing songs. How Mm -hmm. did that come to you? who you're influenced by?
0: Mm. Good question. I love your questions, by the way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I just make them up. <laughs> I
0: know. How about that? Um, well, I think that all started really when I started in grade school and I would hear little songs in, in kindergarten that my kindergarten garden teacher would play that meant, now it's time to come to the circle to talk or whatever. Right. She had little specific melodies that meant things. So, I got the idea that I would do the same, and I'd put words to him. So, I'd come home. I remember the first day I did this. I came home and stood in the kitchen and sang a song to my mom with a specific melody and words about a bunny, bunny rabbit. And I just sang my little heart up, and instead of laughing or patronizing me, she said, You know, that's very interesting. I'd like to hear more of those. And I went. Wow. You betcha, you know. <laughs> and so at that age, I think that was just when the wheels started to turn. Then as I got older and I was really playing piano quite a bit, and, I, and my teacher, Mary Burke, we started on, in fact, I still have some of the sheet music, documenting what are we going to call this song, even before we put words to it, documenting those things. And then by the time I was in the band, um, after I'd been in the band a while, before, when I started singing you know, because I had to at that time, I started bringing songs to them and said, hey, you know, but would how about we learn this? And it was, you know, a piece of music that would work in that context. Mm-hmm. So that's when that really started in earnest. Like, I'm going to do these in public. You know, in high school they have, like, talent shows, and I'd drag out my guitar out there and play something I'd, you know, written. And I've, I've always been interested in the writing process.
1: Can I ask you, so you sing about the bunny mm-hmm. and you continue writing songs about right. more, more than bunnies. <laughs> you but, sing about the bunny. Yes. But at what point did you realize the power of your own songs? Or was there a point where you performed something and mm-hmm. got a reaction that surprised you or that changed your perspective of writing songs?
0: Yeah, I think when I was slipping more and more of my songs into the set list, with a band, and we weren't telling people that this is, you know, an original song, right. or this is by. Because sometimes
1: that's not a good thing, right? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. In
0: that context, it wasn't. Right. So we would just, you know, pound it out and play it, and start it started to be in regular regular rotation. So people who started to come to see us would ask for that that song, or this song, or the other song, and it wasn't until afterward that they found out that I had written it. And I thought, you know clandestinely I had slipped these things in here but from that point on I said no I'm going to be I'm not only going to be doing more of my stuff I want to do all of my stuff. Wow. And that was a very different take you know on on what my peers were doing and it went well.
1: So at this point you're in a band. You're also doing the solo. What, tell me the difference between the two in your mind, and why you had both. Why you chose to do both?
0: Well, I think, in a practical sense, with the band, um, there were times when we were in settings that I probably wouldn't have been in by myself. Right. That were fun events that you know I might have gotten paid a little more, and I didn't have to depend on myself for the whole evening but solo gave me the freedom to play whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I, I switched back and forth on, uh, acoustic guitar and the keyboard that I had. I didn't play guitar in that band at all. Um, but I, but I accompanied myself at guitar when I wrote or when I played solo shows, which I, you know, which I, there's two, literally two different voices and, Two different arrangements. I'm a much better piano player than I'm a guitar player. I can accompany myself well, but I'm not a soloist or anything.
1: And when you write, is it mainly piano?
0: It's, I'd say it's probably 80% piano, 20% guitar.
1: Okay, so going back to that, the band days from then, tell me about what you. what was the greatest thing you learned about being in the band.
0: I think the greatest thing I learned was what not to play. Don't play other people's parts. Uh, play less, right, um, and how do you
1: learn that? They give you dirty looks
0: I think n- no, i don't think they knew either. I mean, we were all pretty young. I think because the sound of it was just too busy. I could hear what 's happening here why Why are two or three of us playing the same part, and then I'd go back and listen to the recording and say, oh that 's not a piano part, or this is or, or we would I became more judicious about what I played but it just took a long time. I wasn't very good, none of us were. We had to slog through being pretty bad for a long time. Just like when you learn to do anything, the more experience I got, and we recorded a lot just for our own use. Oh boy, that was a learning experience. I would think that I was, you know, just sounding terrible, or this didn't work, and I'd go back and listen and say, you know, that was pretty good. Or I thought I was doing great, and I'd listen and be horrified, you know, like, don't sing that. Why did you play that? So I got a lot of feedback early on, I think, that some players don't get. And when I went to KU and got away from you know, my friends and my family and people who love me and wanted to give me positive feedback and got in an environment where they didn't know me. And that was really helpful. I got some harsh uh, schooling <laughs> there.
1: Give me an example.
0: Um, well, I played with a little trio at a restaurant gig. And it was kind of a sweet gig because, you know, you got paid and you got dinner. <laughs> Just me and a, and a guitarist and a drummer. And in the middle of our set, a woman walked up and pointed me, and she goes, do you have to sing everything? I went, Whew. ooh, that's tough. You know, I was <laughs> that eight- is tough. I was 18, and I went, mm. And the guitar player leaned over, and he said, ma'am, you don't want to hear me sing. You know? And I thought, not everybody's going to like what I do. And that's okay. That's a, this- Instead of being crushed by it, I kind of started growing a thicker and thicker skin. I guess you kind of have to, right? You have to, and I also saw a lot of other musicians in Kansas City, and you know, um, that upped the bar for me. That said, okay, you're all right, but you're not all that. Look what this person's doing. I went to as many concerts of national artists as I could. I remember sitting uh, almost in the front row uh, where Mose Allison opened for Bonnie Raitt. Wow. Friend gave me tickets because I couldn't afford them, and my jaw was on the ground. And I just went, this is possible for these, oh my God. And then out came Bonnie Raitt, who was a woman, who was the band leader, instrumentalist, you know, singer. And anything I could expose myself to like that, I did.
1: Okay. Anything. But Okay, so you see these two great <laughs> artists, they blow you away. Absolutely. And you say, I need to get to that level. Yeah. How do you get there?
0: I'm still working on it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I think, you know, the old adage, practice, practice, practice. Expose yourself to as much excellence as you can. Um,
1: but do you watch and think, okay, there's some trickery here, or, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there must be certain things that they do, mm-hmm. that they do well because of right. whatever, and it might not necessarily be technically amazing, but they just know how to present right.
0: it. Right. They have more experience, they yeah. have a, a support team, they have an innate ability that I don't have, or something that maybe I could develop. I mean, I work with I've worked with a piano coach, i would worked with a vocal coach, but I just, you know, really, I think the thing that helped the most, I just had to get out there and do it, do it, do it. I had to perform any which way I could, and I did, and a lot of it was really hard, and a lot of it toughened me up. You know, I played a little club. The, the gig started at midnight, and I played until 2.30, and I wasn't old enough to attend the club. But I was in there by myself and it was a pretty rough environment. And the club owner was like, I don't know. And I think people felt sorry for me. And I just slugged it out, you know, for two and a half hours. And I just got better at it.
1: Did you ever question, I always ask this to mm-hmm. all musicians, mm-hmm. um, but did you ever question what you were doing and have second thoughts or mm-hmm. thought about doing something else?
0: I think the only time I've ever questioned it, and I, and I do a lot of things surrounded by music, performing, writing, um, I'm a vocal coach now too, and I do workshops and work with you know, all kinds of people. Uh, the only time I ever questioned it was when I was really exhausted on the road and we'd been out in a tour bus for four weeks, and it's hard work. Um, and I didn't question it for long, But I realized that the music, you know, quote, business um, isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I had to be satisfied and passionate about the core of music within myself. When that's intact, no matter what success looks like for anybody, and myself included, um, on the outside, I think that's success when you feel that on the inside. So, no, it isn't an easy business to be in. Yes, I've been very lucky to have... People helped me, um, especially Al Berman, 20, starting 25 years ago, um, and you know helped me with publishing and booking and management, but I never questioned the core reason that I was doing it.
1: So if we go back, you were in that band, mm-hmm. you decided you wanted to do more solo or more um, original compositions. Yeah. Yeah. At what point did it become the Kelly Hunt Band?
0: It became the Kelly Hunt Band um, in the early nineties, before the first, first, my first CD came out of all my own music in 94. And at that time, um, we were doing a combination of, of other people's music and my music. And I just realized that if I were to go forward and be satisfied with how I was spending my time. I needed to do my music, and I needed to record it. I needed to get it out there. Um, so yeah, I'd say, I think 92 or 93 was when I talked to Al about, um, he was interested in some material, getting it published, and that's when that ball started to roll. He helped connect me with uh, Mike Finnegan, who produced the first album. Uh, we went to this Los Angeles. This is Ante- the Mike Finnegan. This is the Mike Finnegan, okay. yeah. The Mike Finnegan. Who I'd met a few years earlier, um, and that that became the first self-titled CD that came out 25 years ago. Can you believe that?
1: No. So, at no. this point, are you touring around the states? Are you are you mm. mainly in Kansas? And st-
0: I did some touring previous to that, all within the mid in the Midwest. Once that first record came out, it was North America, Canada, U.S. Um, that's when the ball started rolling.
1: And that's, like, you you automatically assume you're a musician, you want to travel and you don't do Mm -hmm. that. But it's a tough life, like you said. Yes, So when you decided to go that route, did you know what you were getting yourself into?
0: I did not. I did not. I didn't know know how much fun I would have, how many really interesting musicians and other folks I'd meet all over the world. I didn't know how hard it was going to be physically. And I took to a whole new level of taking care of my voice and my hands, my psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very male-dominated that time. It shifted some now. It's not as equal as it can be or will be. Right. Um, and I was a young woman. I mean, it's not easy to put yourself out there um, at that young age and I think also to to understand how to take care of yourself in a lot of levels and I had to learn that Right. and you know I got better at it.
1: If we go back to that point of the first album mm-hmm. and I said what is it you hope to accomplish mm-hmm. at that point, what would that have been?
0: Oh gosh. Well to have a, to have a recording out of all my own songs to work with uh, A-list professionals to be in a recording studio that was Level and learn what I need to know about how to do that. And I think that happened. I was thrown into this environment, thanks to Al, which was just what I needed. And it was heart-stopping on the one hand and exhilarating on the other. And I've gotten better at it since then, but that was my first real experience of, okay, this is it. Rise to the, you know, rise to the occasion, do the best work you've ever done, in fact, do it better than you think you can, and control the situation in a way that everybody's looking at you to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're the artist, you're the songwriter, you're the arranger for the most part. Let's go.
1: I know it's all package. I mean, this is all you do. You sing, you play, you write, right. you perform. Right. Is there one thing that you like more than others? Mm. Like, I mean, each one of those things require quite a bit of talent <laughs> and skill.
0: I think if someone were to say, OK, I'm going to take, just naming those few things, if somebody said to me, yeah, we're going to take the piano away from you forever, you can never play it again, I would, I couldn't go on. But if they said, yeah, you'll never perform on stage again, I'd go, well, bitter pill to swallow, but OK. Oh,
1: yeah. interesting.
0: You're not going to write another song. That would be second in line. I was like, ooh, that'd be tough. But if, those, if, if I couldn't ever put my hands on the keys again, I, I wouldn't want to, I don't know what I would do.
1: So tell me about the composition. Tell me about writing and that, your relationship to your songs. Tell me how that's changed over the years.
0: Well, I think that because all of us, as we grow and have more life experiences, we all change and develop our thinking and our perspective. So as a writer, that's a nice parallel to, to look at what am I going to write about? Well, that's changed over the years, too. It's not all about me. It's not all about my smaller scope. Um, or bunnies. Or Well, now I might bark out a bunny song at any at any moment, but it might be a metaphor for something else. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Back then, it was about the bunny. Um, but I think it just, uh, and my skill level develops, as we all hope our skill will develop at whatever we do. So the songwriting for me has shifted in that I'm... Um, I do more co-writing than I used to do thanks to Al Berman who talked to me for seven years about co-writing and I dragged my feet about it.
1: You, you refused initially because why?
0: Because I think I was scared. It's a vulnerable place to be to to expose your inner thoughts and your inner process to someone else when you're a younger songwriter and I didn't understand the process was all about the, the song itself not about the egos or the people um, and i had no experience with it i didn't understand you know that this could be a liberating growing interesting thing and it has been only a handful of writers has it really clicked with but right
1: i mean that's going to be difficult to to ma- not manage. but how do you know that mm-hmm. if you sat down with somebody mm-hmm. that you will click and or you won't
0: well i think it's apparent to both writers like gary nicholson who's a wonderful you know gary that's amazing. Yeah. Um, when he and i first met there was something about The writing chemistry, that was easy and good. We had a lot of similar references to music growing up. And he's easygoing, he's brilliant, he's fun, uh, and it's not about the ego. And we just slipped in and started writing. And there's other writers who are wonderful writers who I really like personally, and we both could tell it wasn't quite working. So no harm, no foul. We just said, you know what? another time, or it, it's not a good match, We did, and no worries about it. Right. So. I, I
1: get the impression with somebody like Gary and uh-huh. many other people in Nashville Yeah. that songwriting is almost a daily chore. Mm-hmm. Not chore, but it's something that they do almost as if I get up and I...
0: And I write. And I write. Yeah, yeah.
1: How do you approach writing?
0: Um, it's not a daily thing for me, but it is probably weekly, and then I kind of go in cycles where... Um, If I'm touring a lot, I'm probably not going to be sitting down to write unless something comes to me. Like right now, as we speak, I have a little notebook in my bag there. I get ideas, I jot them down, I date them, and I move on. Or I'll put them on my computer.
1: And these are ideas, (coughs) lyric?
0: Lyric, titles, music, anything that, that pops in. That way, I don't have to worry about forgetting it. And then when I do have the time to sit down at home or in a hotel room or more likely at home or with another writer i have a whole big body of ideas that i can draw from um, it's the exception to the rule that a uh, i get a song idea and then it just kind of writes itself it happens but that's not that's not often
1: right yeah um, if we once again we go back sure back and forth. yeah, yeah. But when we let me go back, and you said you watch these musicians, and you, you want to get to that level. Uh-huh. Was there a point where you thought you were at that level, or was, does it ever work that way?
0: I don't think—well, I think the idea of comparing myself to others has, has stopped, and I don't think any of us will ever reach our potential, our ultimate potential. Right. So it's always a growth process, um, and it's always a learning process— but if I look back now, and I look back 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, um, I'm proud of the work that I've done. I think um, for, you know, I'm, I'm proud that I did what I did, but I've developed since then. And I think that I'm always growing. I'm never at the finish line until I'm off the planet. Um, but I feel like I'm good enough at what I do that I'm comfortable out in the world doing it.
1: You, you One of your mentors was Johnny Johnson, yeah. somebody I got a chance to meet. Yeah. Tell me about what that relationship oh. meant to you.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, not only was he a mentor, but he, he and his wife, Frances, were friends. And um, Al Berman introduced me to Johnny. He, we, had, we were going to do a New Year's Eve show in Lawrence at Liberty Hall Theatre, and uh, we had talked about having another artist. And I was just dreaming big. And I said, Johnny Johnson. And um, Al made it happen. And Johnny came in. The first day he came in, I could hardly speak. And they were doing a photo session with the press at a piano. He was at the piano. And Johnny just motioned me for to come over to sit by him. This is how I met him. He said, he goes, sit down here, gelly beside me. He put his arm around me. He said, I'll play right hand, you play left hand. He said, forget about those photographers, let's play. That was my intro to Johnny. (laughs) I said, oh my God. (laughs) And I looked at Al and I was just, I could hardly, you know. And we hit it off. And he had listened to my music before that to be okay with being there. So he knew what I did. We became friends. We did a lot of, uh, we did several shows together. We did, we actually have recording of of us in the studio that we haven't released. and for 11 years, we got to hang out. And and he, Al and I would go visit Johnny and Francis when we weren't working, too, in St. Louis. Um, so it meant everything to me. He showed me te- some things technically on the piano. He didn't read music. Mm-hmm. But there were some licks and stuff he did I couldn't figure out. And his hands were like big paws, you know. But he would just sit and be patient and show me. And then he'd say, all right, let's do four-hands piano so I could try it out with... Johnny Johnson. And sometimes we would do that live. He'd say he'd bring me out when I wasn't expecting to come out. He'd say, Well, I'm going to bring my friend Kelly out here and we're going to do a little four hands piano. I went, hot dog, here we go, you know. So on a personal level, he was a a soulful friend. On a professional level, he was absolutely a teacher and mentor.
1: Um, I know we should wrap up. Yeah, okay. Last question to you. Yes. is You, you talked about your teaching now. Tell me yeah. what teaching means to you and what, will, oh, what it does for you.
0: It's exhilarating. I've done workshops many like blues in the schools and for many many years now when we're out on tour and so when we're home I have um, some students who are that uh, they're focusing on voice. Uh, some are focusing on improvisational blues piano forms and some are focusing on songwriting. So, for me to have anything that I can offer someone to help encourage them and develop their skill level and just watch them grow into that, that's exhilarating. It's wonderful. Um, and I don't have a huge roster because I'm not home enough to do that. But, you know, I'll go into like we did a thing at the Berklee School of Music at the voice department and I'll look at those students and say, all right forget what you worked on earlier this morning, we're gonna do this, and they just light up, you know? And um, it's a privilege to get to do that.
1: It's been a privilege to sit down and talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you.